sometimes it's just the simple things in life you give thanks for, isn't it? I walked in this morning and said, Lord, thank you for air conditioning. Oh, are we getting softer? I'm not sure. Oh, as a kid, or well, most of you as children, we didn't have air conditioning, did we? We grew up with ceiling fans and that was about it. But oh, gee, we're appreciative of it in days like this. Well, scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 14, really well-known passage. I'm sure you've heard this many times. Uh, let me read it to you. John chapter 14. Jesus is speaking. He, re- he says these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say... Show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, but if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father." I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. We're continuing our little series on the I Ams in the Gospel according to John. And of course this morning is I Am, the way, the truth and the life. When we read the Gospels, there are some disciples who seem to speak a lot. Think of Peter straight away, don't you? Perhaps to a lesser extent, James and John, they also have some words recorded for us in the Scriptures. But there are some disciples that nothing, nothing is said, no no words is said of them that's recorded for us. There are other disciples and there's just a small snippet here and there of they might ask a question or say a sentence and Thomas is one of those. Thank God for Thomas, because when he asks a question, Jesus comes out with a profound statement that probably he would not have said if Thomas had not asked the question. Thomas is one of those disciples or one of those persons who's, I say, is very black and white. He's very blunt. He's to the point. Something's said, and he doesn't know what it's about. He doesn't sit quiet, right? He just interjects. He just wants to know, tell us, what is this? What is it that you're speaking about? He's somebody who loves facts. He doesn't like, you know, idle chatter. He wants to get into the deep stuff. Maybe you're like that. In verses 1 to 4, Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room and 
obviously aware that the disciples are going to be concerned and worried and even troubled at his departure, Jesus reminds them, as he has done many times, that they need to stay loyal, they need to keep their faith in God, and they need to believe in him, believe in Jesus Christ. God has many dwelling places, Jesus says, and that he needs to depart so that he can prepare a place for each of the disciples, and that will include us as well. But Jesus reminds them and says, I'm not going to go away forever, I'm going to come back uh, for you. And I'm going to take you to my father's house and there we shall live forever. They knew, said Jesus, the way where he was going. But Thomas interjects here and he's unsure of where Jesus was going. And he makes the statement, if you don't know the destination, then how can you know the way to get there? What is our destination? What is your destination. I went to my uncle's funeral on Monday. It was just a sad occasion, I thought. Sure, celebrating his life, but really no mention of God or Jesus. And I thought, you know, did did he really know? Did he really plan for his destination? I don't know. I don't know. I read of a teenager who years ago, years ago, wanted to join the British Army in India. And when asked why by his parents, why do you want to do that, his his reply was this. Well, I hear that when you join the British Army in India, you get paid quite a lot for doing very little. And then as you move up in the ranks, you get paid even more money for doing less. And then when you retire, you get a large amount of money for the rest of your life doing nothing. Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? Uh, What is your destination? Where are you going? Where are you headed? For Paul, the apostle, he tells us that life is a journey. He refers to the Christian walk as keeping in step with the Spirit, walking with God, because he says we're all going somewhere. Time waits for none of us. We know that. We, we live in this world that is so bound by time. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow is just a few hours away. When I was down at the Bible school, I had my office uh, in the office block and then I lived in the apartment upstairs in the main house and I thought to myself one day, life is just carrying stuff. Life is carrying stuff. Sometimes I need something that's up in my place, so I have to bring it down the office, and at the end of the day, I have to take it back again, and all I'm doing is just carrying stuff all around. I shared with that with my domestic manager one day, and she said, no, Neil, life's not about carrying stuff. Remember, she was domestic manager. She said, life is all about cleaning. <laughs> oh, some of you can relate to that, can't you? She says, life is just cleaning all the time. Me cleaning students. She said, I can't wait when I get to heaven and I don't have to clean anything. Oh, it's true. It's true. We all invest in tomorrow. We plan how we're going to use our time. We we expend energy determining what we shall do. It's said that everybody in the world today is pursuing one of five things. That's what we'll look at this morning. The five things are prosperity, prestige, power, peace and pleasure. We 
pursue prosperity in the hope that it will yield to us some security and some freedom. We pursue prestige in the hope that it might attain for us some status or wealth or worth or worth. We pursue power so that we might achieve our desires and gain some competence in something. We pursue peace for our own contentment and well-being. We pursue pleasure because it brings to us happiness and delight. Now, pursuing any of those or all of those, there's nothing wrong in that, but to whom or where are we looking for those things? that we might possess them, that our life might become rich in the process. It's true, isn't it, from an early age, I think even more so perhaps in this generation that's coming up at the moment, that they're told, make something of your life, you know? Think of something, dream of something and go for it, achieve it. I hate this line. You can be anything you want, right? You can't. I will never be an Olympic runner in the Olympics, right? It's not true. You can't be anything you want. Or even worse is the line from Disney, just believe and it will happen. Really? Really. Scripture doesn't teach that. Scripture doesn't teach that the world is where we should find all the source of longing and lasting happiness. In fact, King Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, says the very opposite. He says, all is vanity. He's come to the end of his life and he's looked back and he said, all is vanity. Just this attaining more and more and more stuff. Probably he said that he was the richest man on the earth at that time. And that's his statement. What does he say instead? I love this line, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1. He says, remember God in your youth. Wow. Remember God in your, your youth. Our lives should not be assessed by us, but by an independent person, someone who is able to look at us and judge us fairly and honestly with what we've done with our lives. That our lives be judged on do they have meaning, purpose, and significance? And Solomon would say, yes, if you are in a relationship with God. Our true worth is based on the worth that God has for us. For God is the one who gives us strength and ability. And relating to him means that our life does have meaning purpose and significance so let's have a look at these p words p words some people seek prosperity prosperity is the goal of their life some people work so hard to amass some kind of fortune that will see them through their retirement and that they might be able to leave their kids something when they're gone I heard a story on the radio, this is just a side to my notes here, I heard the radio, a story on the radio two days ago of a man who rang up to divulge a secret and the panel was kind of at opposite ends of whether they thought it was a good thing or not. Anyway, he said this, that it was true, right, but they disguised his voice, that a year ago he won a million dollars on the lottery and he's kept it quiet, he hasn't told a soul, not even his wife. That was my reaction too. 
And he said, I paid off my car loan. She doesn't know. We have two separate bank accounts. I paid off my car loan. He said, I had other credit card debts, so I paid that off. He said, I've set my kids up for the future so that when they turn 18, there's enough there for them to go and study. He said, some days, he said, she comes in and nags me, nags me. I haven't mowed the lawn, I haven't done this. And I just sit there and think, I've got a million dollars and you don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that story. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Oh, we can't take it with us. Chuck Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll always used to say these words quite often. He said, you never see a hearse with a trailer behind it, carrying all the stuff, all that person's stuff. You don't, do you? At the reading of a will, we hear the words, he left or she left. They left it. Wherever the person's gone to after death, they didn't take any of it with them. They went on without it. Prosperity seekers. Well, perhaps I was thinking they, they can be likened to a, pe- a man who's travelling on a train and he spends the whole journey energetically among the other passengers, bargaining for their baggage, trading this and that, filling his compartment with all the stuff, all the goods that he can to make his journey more comfortable, only to find out that along the journey, the train stops and all his stuff gets thrown out onto the platform and the train keeps going on and he has none of it at the end. Well, that's prosperity. What about prestige? Prestige. Those people who pursue life to have some kind of name, to be known, to be recognised by others for some great achievement. Straight away, I was thinking of, you know, Olympic athletes who are just so dedicated and committed every day for this and sacrificial and not allowing to eat certain things, needing to get to bed early in case they need to get up in the morning and swim those laps in the pool. And yet so often, don't we read, they stand there up there on the podium, podium and they get the gold medal and then they ask... What now? What now? Their identity has been so consumed with this thing that would hang around their necks, they find that someone else breaks their record. Their moment of glory has left them for someone else. Well, what about the prestige seeker if he's on the train? Well, he's the one who needs to get the attention of everybody else, doesn't he? He does his tricks, he spins his good yarns, he fills his compartment up with more and more passengers as they come in wanting to hear about the stories that he has to tell. There's no great loyalty to him. If there's another person who has better tricks and another compartment, well, they'll go down there of better stories. He puts his own name on the door of the compartment, but soon another will fill his seat and his name will be taken off. What about power? So we've looked at prosperity and prestige. What about power? Well, this is the person who loves control. They need to dictate to others what they are to do and when they are to do it. Maybe a head of a department, a company, a trade union. Maybe power within a family, a city, a nation, even the world. I mean, nothing else but's consumed the news for the last two days of these submarines. And I think to myself, so, so much money, really. 
how good would it be if the world wasn't at war and we could put all that money into something beneficial? And what are we doing? All we're doing is just building up our power to say that to other superpowers, don't have a go at us because guess what? You throw a rock at us and we'll throw a stone back at you. That's really what it's all about. The power seeker on our train imposes himself on the compartment, perhaps the whole carriage or the entire train. He's got to be there at the buffet carriage first of all. He's got to have the best sleeping arrangements. But wait long enough, the train will also depart and the man will have no power over anything or anyone. What about peace? Peace, the definition of peace is the absence of pressure and anxiety. And some people, some, this, I don't know if this comes as a little bit of a shock to you, some people want to live in a state where they have no responsibility. Gordon Moyes came to the City Tabernacle, what would be now, 30, 30 odd years ago when I was youth pastor there, and he shared there in one sermon now, I'm thinking 30 years ago, right? You can't relate it exactly to, to, to today. And he was in charge of the Wesley Mission down in Sydney. And he said this. He said, anybody in Sydney who wants a bed and a meal tonight, there is one available. There is one available. Now, I realise he's thinking, he, this is 30 years ago, right? He said this. He said, there are some people who choose to live on the street because they do not want to be responsible to anybody or anyone else and they make that choice. He said, if a person in Sydney comes to me tonight and says, I need a bed or I need a meal, he says, I can direct them. I can tell them where that is. I thought, isn't that interesting that some people want to live their lives like that, not being even the slightest burden on anybody else. Some people choose to pursue peace because they cannot live with conflict. So they avoid it. They keep to themselves. They become like a hermit. They don't want to upset anyone. And in the end, that person usually ends up being alone. So what about our peace seeker on the train? Well, that's the person who wants the compartment to themselves. I'm not sharing with anybody. They pull down the blinds on the door. They put, do not disturb. At the end of the journey, they're unaware that everybody else has already hopped off the train. What about pleasure? Pleasure. These are the ones who've fallen for the oldest trick in the book when Satan came to Eve and there lured her and tempted her with the fruit of that tree. It was a delight to her eyes and the promise was given to her that if she ate of this, and Adam was standing right next to her, that if they ate of this fruit that they would become like God. Well, what's the problem with pleasure? We all know this. It's so short-lived. You go anywhere for the first time, it's always exciting, isn't it? It's always a new adventure. What's behind, what's around that corner? What's behind that building? But you go to any place a number of times and it's lost that appeal and it's now, are we there yet? Are we there yet? So on our train, the pleasure seeker is the person who's always looking for new interests. I want to get down to the refreshment car and drink and probably get drunk. 
They want to look for somebody that they can win their appeal. And in the end, the pleasure seeker forgets his real reason for being, even being on the train. What is our chief end? The Westminster Catechism says, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. At the end of every person's journey, there is God. And so Jesus saying these words, I am the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, I am the way to God. It's in relationship with our eternal Father that brings us to the journey of life and brings us to the one whom we shall meet at the end. At the end of our life, we'll either meet someone whom we have worshipped, loved, been obedient to, served, or we'll find a complete stranger. Problem is, some people think, you know, if I give my life to Christ, then I'm going to miss out. The world just enjoys all this stuff, and I cannot. God does not want me to be happy. <laughs> uh. Yeah, listen to Jesus' words in John 16, 15. All that the Father has is mine, he says. Scripture tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ, that all that is given to Jesus one day shall also be given to us. There is prosperity. Jesus, who owns everything, King of kings and Lord of lords, and one day, if we have faith in him, we shall be co-heirs with him. John 14, that's prosperity. John 14, 23, Jesus answered them, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. That's prestige. That's to know that you're a child of God, a son or daughter of the king. You're loved by him, you're adored by him, you're blessed by him. That's prestige. John 14, 12. The one who believes in me, said Jesus, will also do the works that I do. In fact, will do greater works than me because I'm going to the Father. That's power. Power. Collectively. Collectively, there, God is able to do more through all the Christians in the world today than just Jesus, just one human being. They're the greater works. That's power. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. That's the best peace of all when we know that we not only have peace with God, but we have the peace of God living in our hearts. And John 15, 11, I've said these things to you so that, the, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That is real pleasure. That's everlasting. To know the joy of the Lord as your strength. So scripture tells us, don't, don't be looking for prosperity, don't be looking for prestige, don't be looking for power, don't be looking for peace, don't be looking for pleasure, but be looking for a person. Will we really miss out? 
if we give our life to Christ, ignore God, the Bible says, and you end up with nothing. Seek him, his kingdom, his righteousness, and you end up with everything. Reminded of the story of the uh, prodigal son, you know the story, one son gets two-thirds of the inheritance and he goes away and he wastes it all. And he comes to his senses because he's feeding the pigs and he thinks, if I go back to my father and ask him, even just to be a servant would be a better situation than what I'm now in. And so he makes the journey home. And before he even gets out all the words that he wants to say, his father has run to him, embraced him, kissed him on the neck, has asked, told the servants right to put a ring on his finger, put a robe on his shoulders and put sandals on his feet. And the other son who's seen and witnessed all this and thinks it's so unfair. And his father replies to him, but you have everything. You just needed to ask. I would have held a great party for you. You just needed to ask. With music and singing and dancing and eating, it's all here. You don't need to go away and look for it. It's right here. What is our purpose of life? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's not the end of life that we should focus on, but it's God that we need to seek in this life. To daily walk with him. Salvation is the means of getting to the end of life and there being totally possessed by God. Religion can give you many worthy causes to be involved in. Get rid of hunger, saw the sign yesterday. Serve the poor, stop wars, be a friend to the outcast. But none of those equals the chief end of life's journey is to bring glory to God. God can be glorified in them. But in doing so, being involved in them, we need to ask ourselves, is this glorifying God? Or is this just making myself feel better or even that others would think better of me? The kingdom, we talk of this is the series that we're running at the moment, isn't it? The kingdom of God will come. No more wars, no more suffering, no more tears, no more conflict, no more fighting, no more selfishness, no more greed, no more power-hungry individuals, but a kingdom of love, joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. It's true that our lives can be filled with so many worthwhile pursuits, cleaning up the environment, doing the right thing by our neighbour, being kind and generous and thinking that that will get us the brownie points at the end. Is what you and I do, does it bring glory to God? Jesus says, tells us here in this passage, he is the way to the Father. He is true, and he is the truth. When we discover that, we discover that he is the very source of life itself. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray together.
Lord, our eyes, our spiritual eyes are focused on you, Lord, and we thank you that you are the giver of life. This world is so confused and so divided and so at war because it thinks that it, the world can supply what it really needs, Lord. And in coming to know you, Jesus, we find in you, Lord, we find in you, you give us prestige, you give us power, you give us prosperity, you give us peace, you give us pleasure. May we not look to the world, Lord, to satisfy our hungry souls, but may we look to you and find, Jesus, that you are more, more than enough. We pray in your name. Amen. How great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness shone the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Feel comfortable, you stand with us as we sing the second verse. Who could imagine so great a what heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of angels stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross, the cross has spoken. I am forgiven. Calls me his own, beautiful Savior. I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. We say hallelujah. Sealed up 
My God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.